Hey, my peoples, he is risen. You are paid for. That makes you immortal now, and he won't be long anyway. My name is... You know it. And this is the Mad Christian Saturday Morning Chill. Stick a... Uh, almost could do it. Looking at you. Stick around. Hello, my people. You have found the Mad Christian Saturday Morning Chill. Jesus Christ is risen. That atoned for you. You are paid for. That payment buys your resurrection into the innocence of the life of the world to come. That makes you immortal now. And since he deigns to do all this in good time, adding more of his sons and daughters, even as we are born and brought into his kingdom, uh, you know, so he won't be long now in making this come to pass before your eyes, although it's already coming to pass uh, for those of you who believe, right? Uh, in the faith which he inspires in your heart to know that even though it looks like the world is not as it should be, it is as it should be because he is risen, you are paid for, he, you are immortal now, and he won't be long. Anyway, if you haven't heard... Baptism into his holy name is kind of important once you know all this, right? It's kind of an important thing. And if you haven't heard the fellowship, the common union that Christians receive when they bend before him, King of kings, Lord of lords, to receive from his hand his holy supper, his New Testament in his blood. Well, again, you should, you should check that out. If you've never been part of a church that does that, you should see what that's about and also recognize that there are many people who go to churches that are about that that they don't even know what it's about. And that's a crazy thing about being an American Christian these days, isn't it now? That nobody really believes anything except everybody believes the same stuff and it's not what's in the Bible. You can call that therapeutic moralistic deism if you want. That's what's been talked about in the past, right? You know, we all believe there's something. We're all trying to get there. It's going to feel better once we do and God's there to help us. We've got to try hard. Oh yeah, good old pantheism, good old let's worship the nature and hope we can get through it. Welcome to crazy land, right? And yet, at the same time, it seems that there are many people who are just oblivious to this uh, distraction, distinction. They, they actually think, here's the thing, they think they're not going to die. Have you noticed this? Like, like, better than half of the American population that I can see including many, many Christians who should know better. They're still Christians. They're just like infantine in their faith. They think they're not going to die. Worse. They think it's good to not die. Now, I, I know, maybe you think I'm nuts, right? Like, like, where's my sword? Let me stab myself, seppuku. Here we go, right? It's not quite what I'm saying. Death is in the hand of God. This is why murder is wrong. Is because when you murder, you make yourself God. So death is God's prerogative. <laughs> it makes me think of Bobby Brown. Death is God's prerogative. And he will divvy out the proper judgment for our fleshly carnal sins as he deems fit and when he deems fit. Now Christianity is the amazing good news that this does not really matter anymore because when it happens, it's just kind of the beginning for you. <laughs> wow! Okay, but but... Like, this is why it's so amazing, then, that, like, wide stretches of Christianity, Christian after Christian after Christian, family after family after family, church after church after church, are like, we got to make sure that the most important thing we do right now is make sure nobody dies. When it, it used to be kind of the idea that you went to church so you could know if you died that week, it's going to be all right. Because you're probably gonna, or there's a good chance, or you're going to know someone who does. Now, granted, in Magical Christmas Land called First World, for the moment, they can shove stuff in your body to kind of make it seem like you're not dying. Sort of. Unless you're watching. But, but most of us aren't. We're watching TV instead of the mirror. right? Not having those conversations. We're having them tell us what to think. And so what's happening again is we, we really are believing we're going to evade death. We're like, I got a bucket list. 
I, I, I've, I've had the thought, I've entertained the thought, I have life goals, but, but a bucket list, the arrogance, before I die, I'm going to. The utter arrogance, the, the nonsensical madness of this, the insane words to believe that the unseen has no power in your life whatsoever. Even an atheist needs to know there's lots of complexity out in the world that might stop you from doing what you want to do. A bucket list. You can try hard. You know how it's going to work out is anxiety and fear. That's how it's going to work out. Lots of anxiety and lots of despair when the anxiety doesn't work out. And then there's going to be some like medication in there, right? I get it. I'm not looking down my nose at you for feeling bad and wanting to feel better. Don't, don't, don't hear me saying that, right? What, what I'm saying is that if you're going to run around listening to the pagans, then you're going to be like the pagans. Straight up. And right now, the pagans are worshiping fear as the god of I'm never going to die. And they're doing it with all their heart and all their mind, all their soul. You know, even their little pinky fingers are deep at work. When they sleep, they're sleeping in fear and anxiety about tomorrow so that they don't die, so they can believe they won't die. Now, Christians, here's the th- this is the thing. Like, like, I'm not saying you should go and try to die, although Peter did run to Jesus' tomb, and there's something in that. He threw himself into the tomb, and granted, he's just going to look, yet he has forgotten death. That's Christianity. To know that your death is no longer even a death. You should mourn those who die as the passing of wickedness, right? I mean, this is my, my beloved father or grandfather, wife or whatever, right? Son, daughter, this is the passing of them out of wickedness and it hurts. But I will not have grief like those who have no hope. Uh, and, and for that way, in that way, we just have so much more to stand on. You'd think we'd be making some noise. You really would right now. You would. But Q, Q is more important than the rest of us. So what's your epistemology? That's the question I got for you today. What is your episteme logos? Huh? Huh? You ready for that? Speaking in tongues with Greek and everything right here on Saturday morning. What you going to do about it? Huh? Epistemology is a word I have hated for a very long time. I have never liked the word epistemology, largely because when people use it, they never seem to have it have a context in the sentence that I could pin down the meaning. And since I'm not really that smart, I really am not smart, I'm not well-read, I cheat. What I do is I learned this little trick in, in high school about the SAT, which is that if you can get two of the four answers that you know are wrong, you got a 50-50 shot and you're going to do pretty well and you can learn from the mistakes as you go. <laughs> and so that's kind of how I've, I, I think it's how I learned vocabulary. It may be how everyone learns vocabulary, honestly, but I'm pretty sure it's how I learned vocabulary also. And so, you know, rather than go and look it up in a dictionary, because that, that would take time and energy and I had lots of video games to play and it's more important than that. There was no internet to make it easy either but back then. Like, it was technology but no dictionaries, right? Uh, so you had to go to the paper, a card catalog and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, so, you know, people are throwing around this word epistemology in college and I'm just like, it sounds like they don't know what they're talking about. That's what I think. Yep, I'm pretty sure. And so I, I've always wondered about it but then it shows up in theology. You know, the philosophers are always th- dropping this like, oh, well, you need to understand epistemology. What does that word even mean? Now, Ology, right? You should always be able to do the ology part of a word if you grew up in American, right? Because it's like biology. They told you that one. Like, I, I'm pretty sure no matter what school you were in, 
they told you biology means like study of life, right? Like TV, like, like PBS tells you that, right? So anyway, so you should be able to figure out any ology word. You should know, oh, it's the study of something. Yeah, it's cool. Like butterflies or snakes or things. Yeah. So like, like whatever, right? It's the, it's theology. So what is epistemology? What are you studying in epistemology? And it sounds so weird. Episte or epi. Well, these are these Greek words that just kind of came into English with no real reason to not translate them. But if you want to translate them, so epi is upon, upon, like on top of, right? And then uh, the, the stemi in there, uh, epistemi, that's, that's histemi, which is one of the oldest, most powerful stems or roots in all the ancient languages. I mean, it is uh, ultimately Greek at this point, but you can find it going back to most other ancient languages as just the way of trying to say, like, I'm standing, right? I'm here. How how am I here? I am isteme, and then you also have tithime in, in the Greek, which is then to, you're you're doing it to other things. But that root goes all the way back to like the I think it's connected to the kaya. Is it kaya to live to be uh, Hebrew? Don't quote me on that one. But again, the root's an ancient root, and so it has a reason for being this big word in the study of how to think, right? Because if you put that together, upon I stand study, right? You're studying how you know you're here. That's your epistemology. Now, now, it'd be nice to have a better word for that, right? Like, why do I have to explain that to you? Why can't we just talk about, I don't know, uh, your soul? I mean, maybe that would work. I don't know. I don't like that word usually because it means something like, like the real you, which isn't quite right, right? Although your epistemology kind of is the real inner you. Oh, I didn't mean to do that. Uh, sorry, if, if, if there's some great heresy I just started, please contact me and let me know that epistemology and soul cannot possibly be used together. But for the sake of it this morning, it kind of makes a little sense. Where's your soul looking for? It's food. That's, just, that's your epistemology. What are the words you're standing upon? When you go to study where you stand, where do you study? What do you look at? Who tells you who you are? That's epistemology. That's epistemology. And what I want to give you this morning, I think is where I feel most confident that my epistemology stands right now in this whirling, chaotic, snow day age. By the way, I throw a hat tip to all the all you telling me how cold it is where you are. We're pretty chilly out here as well. We've been hitting the, the negatives, and we're supposed to get into like negative seven tomorrow, just in time for church. It should be three weeks, four weeks straight, we're getting snow blasted every time. Jesus, it's a hard year. Can we have an open sometime? I'm, I'm not kidding. You know, I mean, I, I, my prayers more and more with this has been like, well, he must have a really good reason. So we'll just get through it. Uh, but, but, but golly. Uh, and so uh, hat tip to all you thrown in the, in the, in the comments here, you know, where it's cold, where you are. Uh, I haven't looked at what Florida and California are dealing with, but someone said Texas wasn't exactly warm where they're at. So uh, where, there it is. Uh, 28 in East Texas. That's cold. That's cold down in Texas. Uh, so epistemology, where do you stand? What are the words you stand upon? And I want to just give you a couple that I'm confident I believe. Right now, I can, I can point you to the Book of Concord. I can say the Bible, right? Okay, but there's a lot there, right? So when you try to figure out, okay, I'm, just, I'm, I'm not sure if truth is truth. I don't know who to follow anymore. Okay, well, here's what I know. I know that the justified, it's Christians, and the wise, ultimately Christians, and their works... They are in the hand of God. I know that men, sons of men, unbelievers, know neither love nor hate. Not truly, right? Forgive them, Father, they know not what they do. They know neither love nor hate. They only mimic what they see. And that all things come alike to all, if you're talking about this age and this life. That's Ecclesiastes, uh, I think, chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, if you want to look it up. 
the whole book's fairly important, but again, it, it's summarized there for me. I've heard uh, Christian pastors deride Ecclesiastes. And I think they're fools <laughs> for doing so. Ecclesiastes is a book in the Bible. That means it's the word of God. So I don't care what you think about it or what some scholar from Germany wrote that everyone thinks is clever. If you think that just because it doesn't have the word God in it enough, right? Or what was that? Esther's the one with not God in it. If you think it doesn't mention Jesus or the cross, therefore it's not Christian, you're not, you're not thinking. You're not paying it. Whatever you see in the Bible that you don't think connects to Jesus, it's not Jesus' fault. And it's not because it's not there. Ecclesiastes is a book about how to be a Christian in this life. What do you think What do you think Solomon had to do personally? Now, we've talked about this before, whether you think he ends in ignominy or whether you think he repents. I'm on the, I think he repents and writes Proverbs after Ecclesiastes bandwagon here. In that, though, I'm free to imagine this. And so, so what did he have to do? Solomon had to realize a couple things. First off, that whatever he built, no matter how great it was, it wasn't Jesus Christ's empire. Ultimately, it was just the preparation for his empire. And he knew that. I'm pretty convinced it's in the Proverbs if you look at the words in Hebrew, because it mentions Torah an awful lot and just goes right by in English. You don't even notice it. Torah and Shema and all these great, huge Hebrew words. Solomon was a genius. Uh, we treat that book like it's a pittance. Anyway, so he had to see all of that and then also know it wouldn't last and also know his own son, no matter what he did, was going to have it not last because he had God tell him that and he was no fool. So I would say that when Solomon's writing this book, uh, you know, Ecclesiastes, and then Proverbs comes along with it, his goal here is, is not to tell you despair and give up. His goal is to tell you, look at the despair. You have no reason to give up. Even though it will always be despair and vanity, as far as your eyes can see in this present age, you have no reason to give up because the justified and the wise in their works are in the hand of God. That is, if you know who Jesus Christ is, if you know who God is, then it's not on you to do that. He did that to you. Now you believe. Trust him. Give it a shot. You know, I mean, it's, it is in fact what you want to do because you're a Christian, Right? Isn't it weird how we talk ourselves out of this with like criticism and nagging in the head? Weird. Anyway, you're in God's hands. Whereas those who are not in Christ. Now, don't get mission involved in this. If they're going to be in Christ, then we will speak words about him being risen. Are you listening? And then you'll believe it. Okay, so, so, but for those who are not in Christ, you must know that their actions, their path, their journey, the way they walk, the way they live. This goes for Elon Musk. This goes for Bill Gates. This goes for whoever you're listening to in music, probably that they know neither how to love nor how to deal with their hate, but only how to mimic and repeat what they see. Have you noticed how no one writes new books anymore? They just write versions of old books where they change it? Hmm. Why is that? Why is it that we've been unable to discover new information in science in the last 60, 70, 80 years? Now, I'm not going to say, like, this is all Christianity and the God of the, of the Christians. But, like, really, when you cut off the foot, you trip and fall. When you build a civilization on a certain way of thinking, and then you say, nope, doesn't matter. 
you've just proven, well, maybe that the initial foundational platform, Republic, Plato, I, you know, maybe it doesn't have all it's cracked up to be in it, compared to, say, what, Solomon? You hear what I'm saying? Let me give you one more thing about epistemology. So all things come alike to all. So what should you do, right? I said not to spare. You know you're in Christ's hands. You know you're going to be here till he kills you. Rock on. It's the best video game ever, man. Wake up. So seriously. So now what? All right. So the Sons of Solomon, we've got these Psalms things we're trying to do. We're praying for the whole world, for the whole church. Doesn't matter what denomination you're in. It's like 10 Psalms a day. You get in it. It's a rhythm. It's a clock. And it can't really hurt. It can't disunify the church to pray the same 10 Psalms every day for a year. Right? Could it? Anyway. So one of the things that come out of those groups and where you're at, if you're involved with those groups, if you're, if you're following the Sons of Solomon channel on the Mad Christian Discord... Uh, footnote, check that out later. So <laughs> I wish it was that cool. Be like Tony Stark goes over there, come back later. Nope. Um, one of the things we've been trickling out is something we're calling the duties of a man, the duties of a man. And I'm not just making these up. These aren't just falling out of the sky. What I'm doing is I'm building on my book echo. Okay. So in echo, I do a couple things for you in echo. I take you through the 10 commandments. I take you through the creed and I take you through the Lord's prayer as the absolute completion of the Bible. As everything the Bible ever teaches is there in those three things. And you can see it in the story. There's pictures. It's really fun, right? So the Lord's Prayer reveals itself in this then as a counterpart, like a, it's not a bizarro or an antithesis. It's more of a fulfillment of the Ten Commandments with the creedal resurrection of Jesus, cross and resurrection of Jesus there in the middle, right? And these two things on the side. And what that begins to show is that whereas of old, we hear God saying, you shall have no other gods, and we think, I must do this. Now, according to the regeneration of the Spirit, we hear him say, you shall have no other gods, and we say, our Father. They're not different truths, but they are different eyesights. Uh, they're looking at it through a different lens. And so the seven duties of a man that the Sons of Solomon is going to be promoting are about seeing the, the, the Lord's Prayer as a request for certain kinds of works. You're asking for a certain kind of life that will involve your hands, your mouth, your heart, all this stuff. Huh? And in this then, you've got the duties of every man, and then you've got the duties of a king, which every man also has to own because every man's a king at least of himself. Huh? If he has another king that's over him, that's fine. He still has to rule himself when that guy's not around. <laughs> so you got you got to reign yourself and ladies you also do need to rule yourself however when your man's around you actually want to let him rule you in a positive mutually beneficial exchange communicating head body relationship Ephesians 5 footnote check that one out later alright so right now the duties of a man if you're going to take the, the seven parts of the Lord's Prayer the petitions the seven requests that we make in the Lord's Prayer setting our father aside that's the introduction or the call or the invocation how we how we name him as Jesus told us to Okay. Then you look at the seven things that he says uh, to to ask for before you add on, as some traditions do, like my own, uh, for that is the kingdom, glory, power, and all that, which Jesus didn't actually say, but it is in the Bible, Second Chronicles, blah blah blah. Footnote. Okay. So, <laughs> um, here are these seven duties of a man. They come in a three and a four. You should not be surprised that seven often splits into three and four when it's doing things like this in the Bible. Um, but. The first duty of a man is to hallow God's name. Hallowed be thy name. Right? You, you pray it. Lord, make your name holy. And then what does that mean? It would mean his name would be on your lips. It would mean his word would be on your lips and your mind, your heart. It would be part of your life. You're asking for that to be what happens to you. And then 
Number two, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. What does that mean? What do you, what do you want when Jesus' kingdom comes? And I tell you, it means the second duty of man is to act like your king, Jesus. So you want to hallow God's name, you want to act like Jesus. Thy kingdom come. His kingdom comes not when, well, it will be when the stars split open and the curtains are all rolled up and all this, but right now it comes when you, praying for the hallowing of his name, turn around and speak in his name. You are the kingdom come. Not all by yourself, not alone, but a part of the body. Don't let anyone steal that from you. Don't let anyone tell you that's not who you are, baptized into Christ. That's crazy talk. Why are we so busy trying to make everyone doubt we're Christians? That seems counterproductive to me. It really does. I mean, there are certainly things we're doing that are unchristian, pagan, diabolical even. But I don't think it's going to help us to be like, well, we should worry more about whether or not we're being Christian or not. Maybe we should like just believe what it says. Okay? And so what it says again, you should act like your king. Act like a piece of your king. Act like the face of your king because that's who he made you to be first and foremost to begin with. You're redeemed and you're sanctified into it. Hallowed be thy name, thy name, thy kingdom come. Then um, thy will be done. Thy will be done. So when Jesus prays that himself, do you remember this? Isn't this cool? This is cool. Jesus prayed that. Do you remember that? Like he didn't go our father all the way through, but there's a point later where he in fact says to his father, thy will be done. And at that moment, you see a pretty unique piece of Christology, right? Study of Christ. You see a pretty neat, unique piece of Christology, which is that he, he whose will is perfectly aligned with the Father's, that is the Son's, whose human will, he has two, yes, a divine and a, and a human, if I don't, check it out later, uh, two natures of Christ, <laughs> he whose human will is also perfectly aligned with himself via the personal union of the eternal Son of God with the human flesh born of the Virgin Mary. Uh, he nonetheless is able, with a perfectly aligned will, to ask for a different path. Let this cup pass from me. How is it even possible? That's worth following, footnote. Okay, but the point here being is that what does he do? He says, thy will be done. And so even though he doesn't want it, he does it. So the third duty of a man is to reflect his father's will which means to not do your own, usually. <laughs> to realize that what he wants is something different, okay? Duties of a man. Hallow God's name, act like your king, uh, reflect your father. Uh, and that, that should go for your earthly father, too, insofar as he is godly, right? And you want to honor the father. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about that later. Um, We've got a, a question coming up about fourth commandment. So then you also add, those have all been talked about already. The next ones all come back to what does it mean to look like and be like the king who is Jesus reflecting his father. And that means you're going to have to accept the security God gives you, the daily bread, right? You're going to have to accept or make the sacrifices God demands of you. That's when you forgive others, right? Um, you're going to have to face down the devil's eye and the fear which he brings upon you. Again, that's what it means to say, lead me not into temptation. Uh, and then finally, deliver us from evil. Oh, this is to take ownership for your own judgment as it comes. Because every time you would play deliver me from evil, you're praying for your own death. Because your own flesh is evil. No matter how baptized you are, part of it ain't coming with you into the life of the world to come. And that's the part, the old man, that you're in a constant inner war with all the time, honestly. And so you're kind of going to be glad that part doesn't come. But then right, ownership. Deliver me from evil. Like, scourge me. Wash me with hyssop and I will be clean. Huh? And don't assume that hyssop is, is nice and soft, although I think that maybe is what it is. But maybe not, with how he had it thought about. In any case, we can we can have our John, uh, John Franson look into that if you can, yeah? Um, 
if you caught that. That was way too fast. Uh, I'm trying to find a bunch of things all at once. So we'll come back to more of this. I want to dig more into what the duties of the king mean for you. But understand then, as a father, what are you going to have to worry about in your family? Security, sacrifice, fear, and ownership. It's, it mean, write that down. <laughs> what do you need to worry about? What are the duties of a king when he has a kingdom, when he must rule himself? Yeah, security, sacrifice, fear, and ownership. Those are the duties of a king that go with being a man, which is part of your epistemology in a world in which you understand that the justified and their works are in God's hands. That's because you belong to Jesus Christ. And thanks be to God for it, because many out in that pantheistic, pagan, unbelieving, dying, despairing, anxious world do not. We will be right back with your questions and some Bible answers here on the Mad Christian Saturday morning. Chill on Rafistic. Uh. Round. All right, so we're going with a question here from Melinda. Melinda says this, hey there. Hey there. Uh, <laughs> makes me think of, what was it, Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse? Hey. Uh, anyway, uh, should should church be a place for free speech? Interesting question, it really is. Uh, for example, <clears throat> I know of a church that requires all handouts to be pre-approved by the council or pastor. This includes papers approved by the district. Any opinion on this subject, it just seems weird to me. Thanks, and God bless to you and yours, Melinda. Well, I think it's a, an interesting question, and it's it's weird to me too, but probably for different reasons. I might be like on the completely other side of weird from you on this one. Um, but I think it's really weird that anybody would want to go anywhere and hand stuff out just because they think they can. I think that's a little odd. It's kind of a cool freedom, except we don't really have it. If you ever try, <laughs> it's harder than you think in most places where there's actually going to be people. Uh, and for that, for the reason that people realize, groups realize, institutions realize, cultures realize that if you let some random thief come in and start saying things, then they're going to walk off with a bunch of people's hearts and money. And so you just, you have to protect the, the herd, right? And so, uh, the way that the LCMS has usually handled that as my church body would be that, yeah, most stuff's going to come out of the church office. And so if you want it to go on a wall, it goes into the church office first. And then it just kind of gets looked at to make sure it doesn't have like a swastika on it or something crazy. Right. So like, like you really don't want that. Right. So who knows? And it's better to understand that a reign a governance, a rule, a protection, a, a group dynamic, which says not all words are true. That's actually really good. Now, now free speech as a, as a Lockean, uh, Americanized uh, kind of virtue in which we believe that with enough free speech, all the good ideas will rise to the top. Um, that's an interesting thing that's really being tested right now, isn't it? <laughs> I, I think it really is being tested. I think the very concept of Western civilization is is utterly, precariously, maybe even over already. So, so I'm not so sure I believe in free speech. Now, I have free speech, and I'll protect free speech as a citizen of the United States of America, right? Because I'm going to use mine. I think it's good for me. I'm not so sure it's good for everybody, especially when you went let liars and perverts walk around and talk freely about lying, perverse things, changing the meaning of words, uh, saying whatever they want, telling you they're giving you this, but instead giving you that. And then they write a song about it that doesn't make you feel better, just makes you feel worse. It seems like maybe the devil's a big fan of free speech to me. I, I don't know. I don't know. And nor am I advocating. I mean, what? We're watching the, the, the kibosh hammer come down on the world a little bit right now, right? Like, you're getting canceled if you ain't cool enough. Dr. Drew just has some trouble with YouTube. Dr. Drew? Love life? Really? Anyway, right? So, so like, I'm not saying that it is not good to let ideas flow. I, I believe very firmly in the ability of a small group of 
invested individuals. Can I say it that way? You have to actually be invested in some way. A small group of invested individuals to look at a, a bit of data and together reason towards something that in fact is more true than not true. But it's also just as possible that a false prophet arises among them and leads them into Sheol. So this is where it's not a virtue, right? Like, I think it's important for everybody to be heard. I think it's important for questions to be answered, but free speech just carries a lot more than that, right? And so I, I can't imagine the congregation really doing well wherein you just kind of allow anything to happen. I can't imagine that the public place where just whatever goes, goes. Um, although this does ironically happen in LCMS churches, maybe yours is like ours too, where although the, the free speech banners come and go, the, the pins and the pens and the little gifts and gadgets that are nobody really wants any more of, but we have like way too many of them, they don't come and go. They just come and stay. Yes, unless you are vigilant indeed about your ethics, it will be overridden with things from, what was it? Uh, uh, Oh, I can't forget the magazine now. It's a little like magazine you used to get all your VBS stuff out of, right? You're like, oh, we need to teach people about Jesus. Let's buy plastic from China. Okay, here we go, right? Oh, what's it called? I can't think of it. Anyway, um, so what I think, Melinda, though, is that there should be a path for conversation. So it, what should clearly be available in every congregation, according to the Bible, right, would be that the head of household should be able to speak with the other heads of households and that together they should be able to question what the shepherd is saying. Now, does that mean that they should question it? Well, they should test it, right? They should test it according to the scriptures. That ability, however that is maintained, can take a lot of different forms. I would suggest that we don't even care these days about doing that kind of thing. All we want is more of our stuff for us, and that leads to a lot of confusion in places that we call churches, where everyone's going there for what they want, rather than because they're like just aware they don't have what God has and they need it. And so no matter how it feels or what it looks like or what the smells are or what kind of music it is, if it's going to give you Jesus Christ, you go <laughs> because it's better than not getting Jesus Christ. And maybe you even get to the point where if nobody will give you Jesus Christ, you sojourn. You stop thinking like I can just do what I want with this life. I got a bucket list. You realize you got a religion and another life that's way more important than this one coming soon. Huh? So I, uh, my opinion on the subject is probably really weird, and yet I don't think it's so weird. I, I'm not against free conversation. I'm a really a really fan of open conversation. I'm, I want to begin advocating, in fact, in my congregation for open meetings, um, because I think by and large they should be. Uh, I think if we always have one meeting once a month, we get everything done, or they have all these little ones, we have got to try to schedule everything. So, so that that's about more transparency. And I think the idea behind free speech is that I should not be oppressed for my disagreement and belief with you, I should be allowed to exercise my mouth. Well, but where is the question? Public property is what uh, technically the, the, the uh, Constitution, the, sorry, um, the Bill of Rights, uh, what the Bill of Rights says uh, would be technically a public place, federal, because the states can actually make laws against this, although the states have given up most of their powers, as you know. Um, so uh, in your home, in a private business, this doesn't apply. And so where are you when you go to church? You're in the kingdom of God's <laughs> outpost. Uh, you're in the ambassadorial place, right? You are on holy ground. There is an altar there. That altar, I mean, there should be an altar there. There's an altar there, and that altar is likened to the burning bush. It's not the burning bush. It's not the burning bush. It's whatever you made it out of. But when you have the Lord's Supper, the burning bush is there. And then that makes this like holy ground. So if you're not going to take your shoes off, maybe bow, you know, maybe don't put like, don't, don't treat it like it's your own bathroom. 
you know, in terms of decorations and whatnot. Yeah. So that idea, um, that's what these spaces are for. And so the shepherd who must indeed lay down his life for the sheep, uh, he has to confront a wolf. And that means, you know, well, no free speech. <laughs> no, there's no free speech at church. Um, I hope that helps. Yeah. I mean, heterodoxy exists. Fools are real. False teaching does hurt people. And uh, if you don't believe the right thing about Jesus, it's probably not going to send you to hell immediately. But um, it ultimately is about who are you listening to? And if you believe the wrong things about Jesus, the problem is you're listening to someone who's not Jesus then, right? And the question is where and how do you know? The Bible's a good place to start. And if you've been there, then don't worry too much and just keep on trucking unless you find you don't believe in baptismal regeneration, in which case you should truck toward those verses. Yes, yes, you should. Okay, Cafe Sola says this, if you were part of a family that all grew up in the church and heard the same truths, and yet there is a wide range of belief, teaching and practice, I'm assuming, in the family, like the siblings as they've grown up and gone off to their lives, yeah? Has the head of the household failed to lead? Um, let me first answer this, like, in-house. Let me tell you that if that were to happen to me, then I would believe I have failed to lead. All right? So I will then repent I might not even know what it is. I might not. E- I might. Not, I might even know that I could do nothing about it. But then again, I would say there's no way I could actually do nothing about it because I'm the father. And so, in some way, this is a reflection of my sin. In some way, this is a denial of my prayers because I've been pray- I've, I've been praying for this. You know. So so I mean, if, how could I say otherwise? Then in general. But what you got to understand then is that it's not like it's that simple. Like one day, like, well, I'm going to lead today as a father and therefore we'll do well. I mean, it, it doesn't work like that. And you got to remember also that we are in what I'm going to just consider because I'm in the middle of it. So I get to be biased. Um, one of the greatest mind warp, twist, lie enslavements in the history of the world in which you can't even begin to lead your family. That's a joke that you would think in American society, you can lead your family. That's a joke. No, you can't. Not, not at all. Uh, you have to absolutely be led by the nose everywhere. And you better not step out of line. So, you know, if your kids end up doing what all Americans kids do, do, which is leaving the house as soon as they're sexually able to go procreate with a bunch of people randomly in a big university system that's going to give them all sorts of medical stuff, free handouts from pharma, by the time they sit through all of this systemic deprogramming and destruction of you as a person by virtue of your being the wrong person and not the people teaching them now, they will then all go their different ways and do a bunch of random different stuff. And you'll be very thankful if they still go to any church at all, even if it's like what? You know, uh, worshiping some woman god. You're like, well, at least she goes to church. That's what I've seen. Has And let me ask this question, okay? And then when the person who I've seen have this happen says, well, I'm just glad they go to church. Again, to answer, have they failed to lead? Probably at that point, right? But can you lead against Hydra? Can you lead in a world in which 99% of the words are not God's words, more than 99%, in which you encourage this? in which you absorb it yourself, in which for you to find peace is not to pray a psalm, but it's to turn your mind off. Right? I'm right there with you. I'm not condemning you because I don't feel it. (laughs) This modern world's awful. It is absolutely odd. They have completely neutered us, really, in terms of our hearts. 
So how can we expect how can we expect men in a world that's telling you you can't be men to then lead their family to stay together when they believe to their heart because they've been told they have to tell their family do what you think is right? That's the message now. Well, if the message is do what you think is right, then the child will do wrong. That's why you have parents. It's because kids don't do right on purpose. They, they don't. They're wrong. They, they are instinctually, carnally selfish and deadly to themselves. So, so again, to, to lead them is not to say, would you like to brush your teeth today? You know, <laughs> to lead them is to say, you're going to brush your teeth. And so this is the question then, Cafe. You know, and I'm asking this question. I still got young kids. How would I lead in such a way that my family would stay together? after they get independent, because they're gonna, because they already are. Mm. Uh, Hence my prayer. (laughs) Uh, But um, maybe that's a better answer then. Has the head of the house failed to pray? Well, he should start by praying now anyway, is sort of the answer, right? Like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And that's where, don't tie what happens in your life on a one-to-one, I did it wrong. This is the lesson of Job. If you do that, you're going to end up being Job's friends and they get condemned. They don't actually, they get saved by Job's words and Job's sacrifices and God saying, you intercede for them, Job, since you're better. And it's all Christ typological and everything. But um, you know, to, to recognize then that the path here is not to lead better ultimately, although a, a husband, a father will lead and he needs to, but how does he lead first? Prayer. How did, how did Jesus, the King of Kings, lead at his moment? Prayer. Prayer. Yay for prayer. Drew says this. Got a little bit of a long one here, so buckle down. I'm going to take a sip of water real quick. Like, hold on. I accidentally took a sip of coffee and then still needed the water. <laughs> Ran out of time. Pastor Fist says, Drew, Proverbs 2016 and 2713 ESV say this. Take a man's garment when he has put up security for a stranger and hold it in pledge when he puts up security for foreigners. Take a man's garment when he has put up security for a stranger and hold it in pledge when he has put up security for an adulteress. That's 16, uh, 2016, again, 2713. So both of these, uh, I'm, I'm just jumping in here to make sure you understand as you're listening. Both of these are dealing with taking a man's garment in pledge. One has to do with security for foreigners. One has to do with security for adulteresses as a woman who no longer has a husband um, in the Old Testament code. So as I tried to smart note verse 16, that's the one about foreigners. I thought of other places where the word pledge is used, like Genesis 38, 18, the Pledge of Allegiance, and Exodus 22, 26. I don't know if I'm on the right track. Pledge, in my own words, a down payment using barter. Dictionary definition reads something like a security or a promise. Uh, what does pledge and put up security refer to? Any thoughts on the rest of these two verses? Thank you, Drew. Drew, this is awesome. So what you're finding is that as soon as you start trying to smarten up the Proverbs, you're not going to get very far. <laughs> You're going to be like, wait a minute, but then, and there could be, you know, it's just, it just keeps going. It's beautiful. And it? I mean, uh, golly. So one of the things then that's important to realize is don't go too far with your English. Don't, don't, don't do it. So dictionary, once you've opened the dictionary, take a deep breath and then go back to the verse and realize that might not be the word. Often, often the word is not a one-to-one. Uh, so the Greek to English or the Hebrew to English is not a one-to-one. So if you go and you look up every possible meaning of the English word, you're going to be just making stuff up at some point. That's not part of the original text. It's hard enough with the original text. This is why training pastors to know Greek and Hebrew is imperative. This is why training laity to know Greek and Hebrew is a really good idea. Why did no one ever do that? I don't get that. Actually, someone in my town did, but very few people have ever done that. Why not? Anyway, I mean, you would think like in the Middle Ages when they had like the ability to do... Um, cathedrals, 
I don't know. They were thinking about different stuff, I guess. Um, so when you get into that, then what you're really asking is, because it says Old Testament here, right? What is the Hebrew word there that's being used as pledge? And what you would want to do is go find in Genesis 38 and Exodus 22, if it's the same Hebrew word. Now, you can do that with the Hebrew Bible. You, if you're good enough, you can do that with uh, Logos software, which even a layman can really get into that and use it pretty well. It's kind of expensive, a couple hundred bucks. Um, but it's, it's pretty effective as well at getting you into a, at least a real dictionary, right? Whether it's uh, BDB or whatever. Uh, so for, for the Hebrew. Uh, so I have not done the homework on this particular question to tell you whether or not it is the same Hebrew word. Um, again, maybe I'll throw that at our local Hebrew expert over in the Mad Christian Discord on the Hebrew Roots channel. Um, uh, John Franson, if he's watching this again, you want to pick this one up and, and do a little work on the word pledge there. Um, but I'm pretty sure that I understand it in the context of Proverbs and in the context of Levitical code enough to give you Levitical code enough to give you some of an answer this morning. Um, and then, you know, I'll point, I'll point to the, the discord for a little further discussion on that, where there also is, by the way, in the Mad Christian discord, free to join. Uh, there's a Saturday morning chill follow-up conversation place. I believe they may even be talking right now, although I'm not sure because, you know, the comments on the side here are always kind of cool. Um, but all right. So, uh, let me finish your question though, and let's, we'll go back and kind of uh, deal at, look at the word pledge in its context. Um, what does pledge and put up security refer to? Any thoughts on the rest of these two verses? Okay, yeah. So, in both of these cases, in the Levitical code, I believe what is happening is there's someone entering the community who doesn't belong in the community. Uh, this would be a foreigner. This would be a woman who no longer has a home. She's been thrown out of her home and not killed, which is a mercy to her, actually, right? Um, now, I'm not saying I want to adopt Levitical code tomorrow. Hold on. <laughs> I mean, it's the way it was uh, in Israelite Solomonic Israel. And things went really well for a while. <laughs> really, really well. Something to think about, right? I mean, I'm not saying we should do that. I'm just saying their more seriousness about such things led to better results. That's what I'm saying. Um, so... If you're going to welcome into the community somebody who does not belong in the community for reason of, we have no idea who you are, a foreigner, who also is going to bring foreign gods. So we have no idea you are, and you're probably a false prophet. To also, right? Uh, In fact, I think with the foreigner, they're supposed to be trying to make them into God-fearers. There's paths for that with, you know, this is sort of like outreach, if you will. But then also with this, this woman who has been forgiven, but can't really live where she was and is known to be willing to not respect the marriage bed, which man or woman, um, really poor form. Yeah. So, okay. So then, but someone else is in the community saying, but I know this person. All right. So what Solomon is saying is make him put skin in the game with money. (laughs) So if someone's going to enter your community and you're vouching for them, but no one else knows, like make it hurt. Have it cost, build a sacrifice in so that their pledge is valid. Otherwise, they're just blowing smoke. And again, this is wisdom. This is not universal law. This is like, hey, now I'm in a, like in a, in a, a back and forth counter at work, right? Where I hear this stuff going on. They want to bring in this team guy, this other guy uh, to be on our team. I don't know who he is, right? And, and they're like, well, he's great. He's great. Okay, well, make it worth it to you to risk that. That's what Solomon says. This stuff's amazing, right? The, the wisdom of Proverbs is unbelievably, complexly, just pours forth more and more 
because I think you could probably just apply this to closed communion too pretty quickly if you wanted to. You know, it's just got a lot of applications. So I hope that helps, Drew. Um, and then in terms of the Pledge of Allegiance, I did want to throw that in there. So what is the Pledge of Allegiance? If we understand that uh, taking pledge for a stranger is basically holding um, credit for them uh, because we don't really know who they are. So now you're pledging I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't want to make the jump there. I don't think that's quite related the same way. I'm really curious as the etymology of both pledge in English and then also what it would be like in the Hebrew here and how that would overlap. So the way I've always heard pledge of allegiance, yeah, it is a promise, right? So make them pledge. You're putting a promissory note down. You're putting money down. That makes sense. And so now I'm pledging, I'm promising. It's the word promise. It's kind of ultimately what it is. It's a tangible promise, hand over the heart and all that. Pledge allegiance to the Republic for which it stands. That's an interesting thing to ponder these days. Judith says this, Dr. Doctor, I know. Dear Pastor Fisk, I'm looking forward to your next chill very much. Well, here we are. <laughs> it is a wonderful highlight of the week. I'm glad to hear that. Uh, a family member posts a lot about his theology study and now says that all he wants to know about is the historical Jesus. Yeah, I remember this question. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. All he wants to know about is, quote, the historical Jesus. Is this different than the Jesus of history? Well, see, they'll use the phrase Jesus of history too. And by both of those, they mean different than Jesus of the Bible. Just straight up. So there's there's Jesus of the Bible, who's a fairy tale. And then there's the Jesus of history, who's the real guy. But we actually don't know anything about him. They don't tell you that up front. But by the time you get to be like the doctor arguing with the other doctors who are in this Jesus seminar nonsense... They don't know nothing about him. They're making it up. Okay. So those are your options here. And your poor, friendly family member is indeed a liberal. Like, theologically, forget Biden. I'm not talking about Biden. Although, liberals do, theologically and politically, kill babies. But they're a liberal in the sense of they do not believe in the inspiration or inerrancy of the holy scriptures of Jesus. They believe the Bible is error. In this way, they're looking for a different Jesus than the Bible gives. The Jesus of History. Now, if you'd like a good resource on this, Gary Habermas has a book called In Search for the Historical Jesus. I think that's what it's called. Gary Habermas is definitely the guy you want to get. He will go back and look at many, many ancient documents and show you how amazingly they line up with what the Bible says. Ha ha! And so if you really want to search for the historical Jesus and be honest about it, you would include the Bible in the conversation and then realize that there's a wide amount of, of like proof for the biblical Jesus and a very small amount of proof for the historical guy they want to make up that they know nothing about. They just pull him out of a hat. Um, so uh, what I have found also, though, is that any skeptic who picks up a Gary Habermas book is like, that's not good enough. You know why, guys? Because you're scoffers. That's why. So anyway, um, there's my answer for you. I hope that helps a little bit. Um, I pray for him, Judith. He is going toward not believing Jesus is God. That's where that theology goes. That's where that theology goes eventually, is Jesus is not God. I mean, the historical Jesus didn't say he was God. That's a made-up thing that's later. It doesn't even take that long. It's like the second class. He, should, he, he, should, he might even be willing to say that to you already. Ask him about that, though. Um, it, it sounds like the Jesus of history is not God. Hmm. Now, I can't go there with you then, can I now? No. Titus says this. This is Titus, our sons of Solomon, uh, fearless pioneer. Uh, Greetings in Christ, Rafisk. I've heard good arguments that the practice of lay readers in church services, especially female lay readers, is at odds with Scripture and our confession. Okay, so, I mean, pause for discussion. Thank you. Uh, you have heard that lay readers, and especially female lay readers, is at odds with Scripture and our confession. Okay, 
that's pretty deep to unpackage there. You'd have to understand what lay readers are, what the reading of Scripture in church is, and where it came from, the history of liturgical forms and liturgy in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, as well as the Catholic, uh, the, what, the Western Catholic Church, and then try to understand with what, like, what do our confessions say about, say, the office of the ministry, rites and forms, uh, in, in the church services, uh, the place of bishops and their role in the church. All that kind of stuff comes into play, too. So I'm not really willing to sit here and be like, well, it's at odds with Scripture and the Confessions. But what I will say is this. If God sends you a man, God sends you a man to be your shepherd. And his only real job is to make sure that you understand what the Bible says. To have him not read it to you, I just can't see where you thought that up is a good idea. Like it seems to me in the wide amount of things you absorb every single week from this world and that very small amount of time you're going to give to your pastor, you're going to take away like half of it and have some, (laughs) I can never hear this argument without remembering an event I saw my last year at seminary where they laid a stole upon the new lay readers, and one of them was about four and a half feet tall. She's a very kind woman, I don't doubt it. She did not speak English clearly, though. No, she did not. <laughs> I tried. I wanted to be like, I will be a good person, and I will respect this. I am a young student. I will learn. And I was like, I can't even hear what she's saying. What are they doing? I guess it's printed in the bulletin. Yeah. The only task the pastor has is to make sure you hear the Word of God. So where I'm at at this point... I mean, I have, I have these guys, these uh, kind of uh, apprentice vicars, guys who would like to become pastors someday that are working with me. Actually, just one of them now, but um, uh, uh, working in terms of preparing for seminary education and whatnot. And initially, I was having uh, them and then him do some of the readings. Um, but uh, post-COVID, I'm just, I'm just not going to go back to that. Uh, there, he, he needs to practice reading out loud to people at some point. But the fact is... Like the only, it's not the only thing I'm doing. When I walk around and I visit you and I talk to you and I, we, we have conversations about your life and I figure out what's going on. And I tell you that I'm praying for you and all that, like that all matters too. But what happens in the opening of the scriptures and then their exhortation, uh, their exegesis, uh, their encouragement, that's the proper task of a pastor. I just can't understand why anybody would not want that to happen. Like, what value? And the answer is always something like, well, we get to participate in worship more, and then people will come to church. Go do it then. But for my part, I'm not going to say it's what Scripture and Confessions teach. I'm going to say this is, this is just reasonable. Do you really go visit Grandpa and then put him in a corner and not have him talk? Well, if he watches TV, maybe it's what you do. But of old, the idea would be that you would go to a place to hear a man talk because you're supposed to, and you want as much of it as you can get because it's going to give you good things. Who is the one who spent the whole week studying these texts? Who's the one who, in theory, wants to inflect and speak it in such a way you can understand it? Now, to be fair, most pastors don't put much heart in this at all. Most that I've seen. They just kind of read it. So, so you know, in that case, it doesn't matter. And Why should anyone care? But I would contest with you that if you were to come to my church, come for a whole service with me doing the readings, and come for a whole service with me not doing the readings, I would contest with you, you would find a very different experience. It wouldn't be bad, but it would not be as full. It would not be as full. And it's because it's the task 
of preaching. It's the task of shepherding. It's, it's the bringing of the word to the present moment. The liturgy is this too. That does get shared and that's okay, right? Uh, there's a place where there is overlap. Is it wrong? And so I'm not going to say it's not a sin. If you're a lay reader and you read, it's not a sin. I just think it's counterproductive. It's like really counterproductive. Now, we want everyone to believe this guy's here to tell us what the Bible says, but well, he can talk in the pulpit. He can, he can talk. He can read his manuscript he wrote in the pulpit while we don't listen um, and we'll read the Bible. <sighs> It's just, it, what's, what's up with that? That's just not, um, it doesn't seem like that comes from thinking it through. Huh? So, okay. So then your question is this, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. I put my foot in it now, didn't I? Uh, in, in the entrance psalm, uh, hold on, hold on. Pause it. Is the entrance psalm different from the other propers? Eh. Just, nah. Um, should there be lay cantors? I see. Because you're talking about now someone singing a part that could be read but it's being sung instead. I see where you're going. If one layman is leading or singing alone, how is it different from lay readers? Aha. Uh-huh. And if lay cantors are acceptable, is there a biblical ca- case for lay cantors, female lay cantors in our worship? What difference, what differentiates this from lay reading? I would say the difference is song. So, and if you can't see that, obviously, then you're a sophist, right? You're, you're making a distinction to argue, <laughs> as opposed to recognizing that there's a very evident difference between song and talking. And song has its own danger and power. And certainly to watch someone singing in the church would be idolatrous, I would say. And, and yet, to have a cantor who, to the side, to the back, to the front, as part of worship, right, um, enacts certain things, the big question is, what's being enacted? If you're actually being a physical manifestation of Christ at that moment, you probably shouldn't be a woman. But if you're just leading people from the piano because all you do is meet in a gym, because you're a mission church and you got a piano and a woman who can sing and she plays the piano and she sings, like, great. <laughs> so, like, trying to lay down universals where there are not universals is, is really dangerous here. Yeah. Uh, so, you kind of got to leave it at what's the pastor supposed to do? And song is meant to make us hold the words after we leave. And if those things aren't happening, you're wasting your time, which is about everything else however you want to lay it out, however you want to debate it, whatever you want to laud, whoever's like the most amazing person, they do all this, it doesn't matter. The pastor must be leading you via the word of God, period. And it must be his voice that reigns as, you know, ex-cathedra? Uh, in the seat of Jesus. How? By actually saying what the scriptures say. Why do you watch this show? Doing what I do. All pastors do this. They should. They can. I mean, maybe not as weird as me, <laughs> but they all, they read their Bible. They can talk about it. So that needs to be happening. And I'm going to lose that second point because I went too far away from it, though. Uh, Ah, well, that the song is to inspire us to remember the word of God in the scriptures. And if it does anything other than that, then again, it's an idol. So it's not just so simple as we can do what we cannot. Can we use this idol or not? Well, when they put the snake on the pole the first time, it was fine. Second time, Brought it out, called it not just done. No, no, it's not as cool, right? Not as cool. So, and same thing happens with the Ark of the Covenant, even. Goodness gracious. Yeah? So you can't, you can't wooden box this. Yeah? Uh, you have to understand each community is to grow up into its head, who is Jesus, through the imitation of its head, who is the called, that is actually sent by Jesus, pastor, and that that imitation should be taking place in a healthy, repentant back and forth, father-children relationship in which if he really wants to let the children read, he can. The question will be 30 years later, 
how many people heard anything? Yeah. Okay. So I've recently been struggling with this as my congregation thinks the COVID ended our practice of lay readers, but including, including female readers. Uh, but now the pastor has suggested we have a female cantor while I'm out of town. Um, <laughs> do you run the place? Uh, I appreciate your insight and wisdom in guiding my instinctual distaste for this toward a fruitful and loving discussion and would be grateful for either reproof or encouragement. Thanks. So the way I would see the role of anybody who sings in church, whether you call him a cantor or not, I mean, cantor gives it a lot of authority, and I'm not so sure we really want to do that quickly. Um, but but I mean, we have a guy here that we kind of call cantor. He's part-time, and he can leave any time, too. So it's, you know, cantor, I, in my experience, is something that I, w- I would rather leave for kind of a permanent called position. Now, if that's what is being talked about here, okay. Um, there's no reason that a woman cannot lead a congregation in song. There really isn't. Uh, what I have noticed myself is that they don't lead men in song quite as well as men do. And you can get all upset about how women and men are different if you need to. Yeah, you, you go ahead and take some time. Uh, but it's, it's kind of a thing. Uh, women don't sing like men. Uh, and so they, they don't really know how to lead men in song quite the same way. Now, I'm not going to... You're like, but there's this woman who's the best in the world. I'm not talking about the best in the world extreme example. Don't do that. Live like you live in your life, not on TV. <laughs> uh, men follow men, and women follow men. So what will happen is she will have to work against nature with regard to her role so far as she's called or working with leading men. Now, I don't know what that means. I mean, if all she's doing is playing the piano and singing again, so what? Why, why is that the issue? The more important issue is that we would understand man and woman. That's the more important issue. The more important issue is that we would understand office and people. Right? Who, what is the shepherd and what are the sheep? Those are really important things. Uh, and then realize we live in a world where nobody believes there's a distinction in the sexes. And so this very conversation is a little bit awkward. And that if you're thinking it doesn't matter, well, then you're just believing what the pagans believe. And so, well, that's, that's what you're going to get. So uh, my, my reproof for you would be to let it be, though. I mean, I, go talk to your pastor and say, hi, um, I'm, I tend to overreact. <laughs> and I, I, I'm concerned about these two things. I want to make sure we know you're the voice. I want to make sure uh, that all song is song that builds up more of our understanding of the word of God. And I just, I, I'm going to be a watchdog on that. And I know I do it like too hard sometimes. So I'm here to have you tell me, good for you, Titus, but try to be gentle. And then, then you'll, you'll, you'll build your relationship with each other better, right? So, um, you know, <laughs> That is my advice. So you've heard me say that I, no, I don't think I would I would go the tack of well, see, I'm slow back, slow down here. If I had COVID and a practice, I did actually have COVID and a couple of practices um, that I didn't want to bring back. I'd say I don't I don't want to bring it back, and here's why. Um, and so I I would say that at this point I haven't had to say that where I am. I just continued the practice of reading and preaching while I read, and then preaching again later. <laughs> Uh, all the way through COVID into post, well, we're still COVID, aren't we? Into whatever this new, new brave future is. Um, so, you know, I, I would not give that up. It's, and, and it's so demonstrably valuable to the congregation right now where we are. But I can't say everyone has to do it like that where they are. Every pastor is shepherding where he is. And there's a whole different war going on, which is where nitty gritty minutiae style approaches to do this, don't do that. They break, they break us. What you want is big, broad principles, right? And so the big, broad principle is, is what are you there for at church? Are you there to sing? Because if the answer is yes, then you're wrong. What are you there for at church? Are you there to read? Because if your answer is yes, then you're wrong. 
What are you there for at church? Is your answer to hear? Then the then, then you're right. Amen to that. And if the answer is also to eat, well, you're right there as well. And if your answer is to say amen, ha <laughs> ha, hallelujah, yeah, you get to do that too. And then you can sing after that. Huh? And then you can perhaps go home and read aloud to your family. Try that, guys. <laughs> uh, uh, it's hard. It is. It like takes real gumption. <laughs> uh, you have to really say, I'm going to sit down and we're all going to, it's, it's hard. I'm not good at it. Don't, don't look at me like I'm good at it. <laughs> so again, take that tact. Principles, principles. You're asking about tactics. You really are. So um, stick with that uh, as my final thought there. I'm going to, before I go to uh, Inferno here, we're going to take a three minute break. I'm going to drink some water. I'm going to go move around a little bit. We're right at the 10 o'clock hour. We got a whole nother hour coming your way. So I'm going to make sure I find something else. Uh, although these are very long questions. So we might get all the way through that. So Saturday morning chill. Rock on, we'll be right back. All right, so American Dream, sounds about right, says this, Rafisker, misogyny is just too much sometimes and it's not me as a woman getting too upset. You used an emoji though, didn't you? No, what am I saying? I'm saying we're different. You think that's bad? I don't understand you and I think you're not reading the same Bible I am. Check out Ephesians 5, 1 Peter 3 and then tell me that I hate women. Really, that's what misogyny means. I hate women? Really? Please, American Dream please. Let's be friends, huh? And not call each other names that don't really apply. If you want to have a discussion about the difference between man and woman and how I'm wrong, let's not call me a clown right out of the gate. Ah, all right. Otherwise, I might just do this and call you out. Hmm? All right. Let's go to Inferno here. Hey, Riv Fisk. Thanks for your help a few weeks ago. I could use your guidance on the fourth commandment and how to honor our parents in tough situations. This one's tough. This answer and this question, I mean, right turn from where we were a moment ago. So come with me. This plagues lots of people, uh, it, like the battle of the sexes, uh, but maybe more so because we don't really realize how much most people are bothered by their relationship with their parents. Most people. Are there people who have absolutely stellar relations with their parents? Absolutely. Are they the vast majority of Americans? No. <laughs> vast majority of the world? I don't think so. Although it would be interesting to see in a pre-modern world, say, go visit the Amish and just experience it there might be a little less of this particular problem. How do I honor them? I feel like I'm not honoring them, right? And especially when then you find that there is, well, I can't, Amish. I don't know. I don't know. I've heard horror stories there too about escaping from it and all that. So the fact is, I guess that just goes back to my main point. Most people have poor relationships with their parents one way or the other. And because your father and your mother are sinners, this makes a lot of sense. How could they do anything other than fail you? Especially in being the God you expected them to be. Because they're not. And you also, being the sinner who has idolized them from infancy, as if they were God. They're supposed to be his reflection, but you've treated them like they are. And since they failed you so much, now it becomes this entire like religion to your heart. Huh? Uh, and so... <clears throat> Working through this, I'm going to say, is not the thing the fourth commandment is there for you for. You're not supposed to go to the fourth commandment to see if you complete it, to see if you can then get comfort from completing it. That's called justification by works. So instead, go to the fourth commandment because it's good, because it's what a good world looks like. And when you find out that your life doesn't look like the fourth commandment, don't act like it's a black or white despair or heaven this moment. Realize that to honor your parents 
is a far wider thing than even, what, possibly than this moment. It is to be their seed, their namesake in this world. Let me give you a story. There's a guy named Noah. He did some stuff with the boat. You remember? When he got off the boat, some sacrifices. Pretty cool. After that, plants some grapes. After that, takes a while, picks some grapes. Um, <laughs> I'm going to lose the word now. Um, makes alcohol out of the grapes. Ferments. There you go. Ferments some grapes. Gets uh, inebriated on said fermented grapes. Falls asleep. This man is passed out. This righteous man. He's righteous. He doesn't lose his righteousness in this. So stop being judgmental. This righteous man made a mistake at the very least. Or maybe he just celebrated. Oops, that was strong. And he passed out naked in his tent. He's got three sons. Three sons. One of them sees this and goes and tells his brothers. Dad's drunk. Dad's naked. Ha ha. The two other brothers take a cloth and walk backwards into the tent and cover their father's nakedness. I'm going to tell you there's a lot more to that in honoring your father and mother than what most people just assume is a rank and raw obedience to whatever they're doing because the TV told them to. Obey me, do this, uh, let, me, let me smoke cigarettes and watch more movies and uh, go on the internet more and look at more porn. You don't have to listen to that person. That person isn't supposed to tell you how to live. You're not supposed to act like they have wisdom. But do you need to tread out their dirty laundry in front of all the generations to come after you? No. Do you want to hold on to what was good in them? Do you want to know what they gave you that was good and remember that? Because that is who you are? Yes. Let me contend that that would be to honor your father and your mother regardless of who they are. To recognize their office is a gift from God in which there is a reflection of all truth, both created, fallen, redeemed, and sanctified if you look at it through the right eyes. And that doesn't mean you owe them rank obedience now, no matter what they say. Nor should they rule your conscience as gods, because they're not. You're God, Jesus. He's the one who should rule your conscience. And then in that, in what way, can you make their name great in the world without doing harm to others? I mean, if your father actually is like a car thief, at a certain point, you have to turn him in. Right? I mean, more or less, or say stop, or I won't be a part of this anymore, leave me alone. Uh, and so you got to do that. And so, okay, so Infernal says this. I have been, I have a best friend who is an abusive, has an abusive parent, not to the point of physical abuse, but verbal and emotional abuse. Uh, just for the record, I don't even see why we distinguish the two. I really don't. I'm pretty confident I read this a long time ago that when you're having physical abuse, like someone's beating your face, right? As a kid. It's not even the face beating that matters. If you hit your kid in the face accidentally, I mean, I've, I've done this. I've turned the kids right there, hits him in the face. Like, oh, right? oh, I hit my kid. You know, <laughs> and, and the kid's like, uh, they're fine. What harms children when abuse happens in the home is that the people who hit their kids because they're angry and they think it's good, they also talk while they do it. That's what the kid remembers in the midst of all of the rest of it. It's the words. So, I say this because there's a habit we have of elevating physical abuse and limiting emotional or social abuse as if one is worse than the other. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words should never hurt me. 
Um, I don't know who made that lie up, but it's about as lie as it gets. And I, I shouldn't have repeated it because it goes on every time you repeat it. Never say it again if you can help it. And just let it die. Let that be a, an American God that dies. Um, so, okay. So your friend is in a place where they, she's not getting hit. But every time she hears words, these words are daggers. Right? Okay. So, uh, okay, you're talking. Okay. Her parent manipulates emotions and words to always make themselves the victim and deny any responsibility. Her parent even went as far as to say that she was an unwanted child. That is this friend of yours. Um, there is more I could say, but suffice to say that her childhood was dark and twisted. Uh, yeah, she's not alone. She's not alone. There's a lot of people who have faced various kinds of this sort of thing. Um, and continuing your story, um, I mean, I really, no, pausing and not continuing your story, I think it needs to be said that, I said earlier, most people are not happy with their parents' relationship, okay? Most people are not in a traumatized relationship, but a large minority are. A, lo- a significant minority of people are in traumatizing home lives. Uh, if not a majority, I mean, when you look in the poverty and impoverished neighborhoods, you talk about educated families, most of you who are watching this are educated, right? So you're at least like trying to believe you're a good person. You get into poverty cultures and there's none of that. There's none of that, right? And so abuse is just, just normal. It just is what it is. And it's just the people are cruel, that we are instinctually wicked. Uh, I'll talk about that more later, maybe if we have some time. Footnotes, <laughs> Ephesians 2. Um, so, luckily... Inferno goes on, now that she is an adult and on her own, she doesn't have to be in that environment anymore. She has gone as far as to limit communication with her parent. However, she struggles with how to honor the fourth commandment. She knows that her parent is a dangerous person and someone she doesn't want to interact with, but that doesn't mean that negates the fourth commandment. She feels conflicted. She has forgiven her parent, but that doesn't mean it makes any of what happened okay or allows things to go back to normal. I can't seem to find any biblical examples or any church documents that might help. Uh, if you know of any resources or have any advice, I would appreciate it. God bless. I think it was last week we looked at 1 Corinthians 6. Is that where it is? Or is it in 2 Corinthians? You have to go have to go look for this one. Um, in which we were talking about divorce. And it is said that if an unbeliever abandons a believer in marriage, they're gone. You are not bound anymore. The divorce has already occurred. There's nothing you can do. You're divorced. Right, forget what the, you know, the documents are the documents, but in God's sight, like they abandon you, they're gone. Okay. So, well, what do you do when your parent abandons you? What do you do when your parent abandons you and comes back and says, I'm still your parent? <laughs> I would say you're no longer bound. Not, not de jure humano in terms of, I have to do what they say. In fact, the moment you turn 14, you kind of don't have to do what they say anymore. That's, that's kind of the thing. You're supposed to be independent. So the fact that the person is still trying to be your God, well, you don't honor them by letting them do that to you. You don't honor them by, I mean, if somebody's, let's, let's put it in a different kind of scenario, right? So let's say your dad's like a raging gambler huh? and, and he just, he's gambled away everything his whole life. He's homeless half the time, but he comes back sometimes. Do you keep giving him money? You think that's honoring him? Keep him in that lifestyle? You think so, huh? huh? So that, that's kind of the issue. What does it mean to honor your parents? It does not mean rank obedience. It does not mean rank obedience. What it means is to desire their good. Desire that your name and their name be held up in honor. Desire that they fulfill all things in their life which God intends for them. And then as an adult now, well, are you positioned to help them? Actually, here's the, here's the worst part of this. It is unnatural. <laughs> here's some more misogyny. It is, ready for it? It is unnatural for a child to teach a parent. It is unnatural for a son to teach a father. Now, a wise father 
in a fallen world can learn from his son. But it doesn't make it natural. And so, and it's a wise father. Okay, well, most pagans are pagans. They're not wise. They're fools. Even the ones that seem to be wise are still fools. And so, what they are looking for, what they are hungering for, is something that's completely not going to be fulfilled in these relationships. Uh, They are looking for the type of perfect relationship that never sacrifices, that never suffers, uh, that somehow can be godlike. And again, once you're an adult child of such a person, you don't honor them by letting them try to be your God and saying, oh, that's okay. No. What do you think the sons of Korah did when Moses said, those who are with the Lord and those who are with Korah? The sons of Korah stepped away from Korah. Now, does that mean that if the person comes begging and needs water, you spit in their face? No. However, if you got a restraining order, you keep the door locked because that's just what you do. It's not because they're, they're not... <clears throat> the office of your parent would be even more dishonored by allowing them to come in and murder you, right? if that's what you're afraid of. So, again, see the fourth commandment less as a way by which you're going to judge whether or not you're a good child. Judge whether or not you're a good child by the lists of virtues in the New Testament. Do you love people? Are you striving to be steadfast and patient? Do you want to be gentle to everybody, your parents included? Let that be your conscience, and then know you're not good enough at that, but that's a much more, I don't know, filling. It's a filling way to approach your sanctification rather than to go back and just beat your heart against the stone of the Ten Commandments. Whereas what those are supposed to be for you now, I mean, really, when I say... uh, the the um, excuse me when I say the creed and the Lord's prayer and the Ten Commandments in the morning I say them in that order even though that's not the order in Luther's catechism I think he was wrong when he moved it one of the greatest mistakes he made the reason is because while they are in fact law for the unbeliever they are no longer law for you so your friend's a Christian right the fourth commandment you shall honor your father and your mother that's a promise not that she has to go try no Jesus did it. You shall honor your father and your mother. You can't help it. On judgment day, your father and your mother will be honored by you because you're a Christian. Believe it. Believe it. And then go do what I just said a moment ago. Go learn the New Testament worldview. Go try to be the kind of person who wanted to disciple themselves as distinct from the world because of the grace that is freely given in who Jesus is. And you will honor your father and your mother. You have no reason to doubt that. You will not murder. You will not commit adultery. You will not steal. Now, will you be tempted? Yes. Can you fall? Yes. But you're going to fall when you when you stop believing it. Line yourself up at that moment of conscience when you're not sure about whether you're going to do this or you're going to murder somebody. I'm about to murder him in cold blood. You shall not murder. Don't you think it'll work to remember at that point and say that out loud? I think it'll work. I think by that point, the promise is in fact coming true in real time. So train yourself with that kind of mentality. And and don't assume that Christians cannot defend themselves based on what I just said, although the Christian's goal is to have the last word, not to get the last shot, as I've said elsewhere as well. Does that help, Inferno? I hope it does. It's so difficult. Um, (laughs) So difficult. I think I would be willing to say that every single human has a mental illness. 
I don't know if the question about narcissism came up somewhere else already this morning or if it's in the next one that comes up. But this idea that somehow there's like a normal state, like there's this like balanced normal somewhere. <laughs> like who's that, right? Jesus. Did you ever listen to that guy? <laughs> it's not what most people think of as normal. So like that myth that somehow I'm trying to attain to a non-chaotic state of being, right? Uh, that somehow I'm going to find a pure balance, a lack of tension. Uh, I'm going to give out love and I'm only going to get love back. That is sin, that idea right now. <laughs> uh, that is the definition of sin. Because God said that's the way it's not going to be. And so you're like, well, I'm going to make it that way. You're like just continuing the pattern. <laughs> you're repeating the fall. So what is far more imperative as you strive to be sanctified, as you strive to live a justified life, again, is that you would know you're never going to complete the action. Whatever you try to do, you will not do it as a God. And that's what you want to do instinctually. And that's an insanity you will never escape. Rather, you will have another reality, a greater saneness, a clear word, Christ himself right, and his scriptures, gradually inserting itself into your actual body by means of heart and mind and psyche and soul and gradually counterbalancing, not so that it goes away, but so that you have an answer to it. So that you know why your sin is what it is. And so every moment of weakness, in fact, is a moment of strength. Not because you're strong, because you're weak and because you can live that way. The secret of being content. I don't claim to have attained it in some way by which I never have to struggle more. But what I do is this. I press on toward the goal. The upward call for which we have all heard. Yes, in Jesus Christ. Not a direct quote from Paul, but pretty darn close. Pretty darn close. So, uh, I'm not going to go into details, but, um, and it's not, uh, I have been touched by this kind of story in my life more than once and uh, in very direct ways. Uh, my extended family on both sides, uh, blood and marriage, has all sorts of broken in it. And the broken takes on different forms. And sometimes you got really angry people who do really bad things. And sometimes you got really sad people who you just can't cheer up and there's nothing you can do about it because they're just going to watch TV till they die. <laughs> okay, you're gonna be sad then, you know. And so you just you're just stuck with it. You're just stuck with it. And all you can do is again, what is the real solution to these things? What is the real duty of a man? Pray. Pray. Without ceasing, Paul says. Now don't make that a law either. Let that be a promise that you shall live a life in which you are in God's sight continuously. Which means every word you say, He hears. And the more you know that, the more you can use them on purpose for good things. Is why didn't they teach in Sunday school, right? Like, well, this seems so obvious. <sighs> they tried, maybe. Then again, it's a big circus going on in the last hundred years. Uh, Janice says this Hey, Rev Fisk, thank you for the madness and chill. Does madness cause chills? I don't know. And I'm still waiting for the white van to pull up and, you know, put the, the thingamajigger on. The, what do they call it? Straight jacket? Why is it called a straight jacket? Seems kind of crooked to me, if you think about it. Uh, was <laughs> I was registering to you and Dr. Kuntz. Uh, I think you mean like like it, it registered with me. It struck me that you and Dr. Koontz were talking about vaccines. In 1976, we watched the president and his family vaccinated on the earlier version of the blue screen, um, which is like regular TV. Uh, they're all TVs. Your phone, it's TV. Uh, now in 2021, we see former VP, current VP, as well as other politicals doing the same. 
Yeah, I mean, it's pretty standard fare that the regime needs to show you what you're supposed to do. Because do you remember what I said? Oh, it's over there already. Ecclesiastes 9, 1, and 2, they mimic only what they see. It doesn't say that in verbatim in the English, but that is the substance of the thing. That man doesn't have the ability to do anything other than just reflect what, he's, what he sees. And everything he looks at is his God, unless he's got the real God. And so all he does is go around just bouncing whatever he sees. Oh, just, oh, oh gods, gods, gods. He doesn't even realize. He doesn't call them gods. Oh, I'm not, I'm not, I don't believe in gods. But that's all you do is act like you have gods. You run around and you reflect, reflect them. And those who run the TV know this now. They know this now. Is they know that if they want you to do something, they just, you know, if they want you to wear two masks, they just show you a picture of a guy with two masks on and you'll go around breathing your own carbon dioxide until you die. I mean, why not? So, yeah, uh, with propaganda being what it is, Janice goes on, and skepticism also, was to say those syringes just held saline solution, pretty conspiracy theory-ish, huh? I suppose how, uh, as long as there aren't drones following you around after being vaccinated, you're okay. Uh, I'm not planning on being vaccinated. I have a garden and a pressure canner, says Janice. So I'm going to take all of that in part because you have there's a bunch of different kind of uh, fun tangents there. Propaganda being what it is and skepticism also. I think before you say anything else, that's just a, that's like a, a lifetime of thought to unpack that. What is propaganda right now? I mean, think about it. It is so vast. His arm has grown long. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it is so vast. Where, where are you free from it? I mean, I, I, I'm wearing it. In my own house. I, f- I finally decided, I think I'm, gonna, I'm not going to buy graphic tees anymore. I'm nuts. I know I'm nuts. I'm going to start buying plain tees. I'm tired of being branded by somebody else. You know, I've thought about making my own brand. I want to do that American Barbarian thing, but I don't have people to pay to do that. I mean, I love y'all. Mad Christian Discord, we're great. We're going to keep going. But I can't just start businesses out of my you know, back pocket, so I can't start a clothing line. I'd like to. What should I do instead? I don't know. You don't have to stop having you know, brands yourself, but I'm kind of like, in Illinois, okay, it's fine. And it's local, okay. But like, why am I letting them? I am paying them to propagandize myself. Now it's comfortable. It is comfortable. <laughs> so you know, propaganda being what it is and skepticism also. I, so what is skepticism today? Skepticism has been around with regards to Christianity in American social political life for a long time, that Christians are kind of like used to being the people you are skeptical of. Like, it's just, it's just the water we're in. It's like, you don't believe us. <laughs> uh, and at least those of us who are trying to convert people to Christ pre-COVID, blah, blah. Um, skepticism was just sort of, it's like the default God position, right? But I don't think that's what you're talking about now. You're talking about how that has now taken a jump from like, like I'm doubtful in God, now I doubt the king. It's a logical conclusion, really. (laughs) These ideas will play themselves out. Okay, I'm on a tangent, space, like interjection, bullet point. Ideas must come to their conclusions unless they are countered. And so a society that is just going to run the math on this bad idea until it runs out, they're just going to run the math until it runs out. They have to be countered by a different idea. All ideas have consequences. And, and I would suggest, again, you've got bad ideas floating around your head. You've never taken the time to think out and stop yet because you eat too much. Eat too much. There's no way you don't. You eat too much. So you need to slow down and eat less and figure out which lies you want to spit out because they just bounce around in there. Even though 
you're skeptical of everything. And the problem is that makes you then hyper skeptical because you've got too many lies bouncing around inside that haven't been resolved. Now you got to be careful to not let anything else in. But now you can't believe anything. Now you're stuck, right? That's where a lot of us are, right? Skepticism being what it is, propaganda being what it is. It's where the Bible is a nice place to go. It really is, yeah. Uh, so what's to say those syringes just held saline solution? I, I guess they could. I don't think the vaccine is a ploy to kill us. I think it's a ploy to kill the non-vaccinated. I think if you want to go conspiracy, and I'm just going, I don't actually think this either. I don't think we're that good. Yeah, we could be. Who knows? I don't care. That's more where I'm at. Like for me, it's all just a story at this point. But the way I would see this vaccine thing playing out is more like they realize there's a food and water shortage coming. And so what they're doing is they're prepping a vaccine in people that will stop some other thing later that we who are unvaccinated will not have access to saving from as we don't have like the inline genetically changed whatever. And then this will solve the global food crisis, but they'll just call it a pandemic. Conspiracy theory much, right? Like, I, it's, it's just a story to me. That big, Take it. It's a great novel. You write it right now. You put it out there. It might change the world. I don't have the time or the energy to care. Uh, I'm too busy wanting to know who Jesus is and remember that over and against what I'd forgotten in the last, I don't know, lifetime. <laughs> uh, things I've known and then lost and known and then lost again. I don't want to lose them anymore. And high on this for me is time with my family and time of the word. I don't know how else to say it. Huh? Time of the word. Uh, and it's, it's just the, the, the propaganda modern life doesn't give you time for that. And so instead, what you do is you run around looking for these gods to answer your problem, right? So every conspiracy theory is sort of like trying to find the name of the God who's really in charge and like pin the tail on the antichrist is it's, it's entertaining enough when you have time for entertainment. I, I guess maybe that's one way I could talk about my own kind of experience. Right now. I just don't feel like I have time for entertainment anymore. That's it for me, right? For me. Um, when I would be entertained, I'm like, ah, but there's this other thing and it's, it's real. And I'm really curious about it. And so, you know, so that's just become a different way of looking at stuff. Um, so conspiracy theories then both entertain me, but then also you can do nothing about them, right? So the best they serve us to do is to show you how the real place you should be living is where you are right now with what's in hand's reach. With what's in your house, what's in your neighborhood and your block. Uh, that's your vocation. That's your epistemology. Right? It's where you are. Um, so, uh, so with regard to the syringes being saline solution, I'm pretty sure they got vaccinated because I think they want to, because they're afraid of dying. They're all afraid of dying and they think this is salvation somehow. And they, they believe their own myth. I don't think anyone at the top doesn't believe the pharmaceutical myth. I don't think they're up there saying, well, pharmaceuticals is a wash and we're just making it up as we go. I think they believe in it. They may even have religious belief in it that they hide from us. I don't know, but that's, you know, I'm eyes wide shut. Uh, don't watch it with kids. It's uh, so hmm, pretty conspiracy theorist. Yeah, that was kind of my point. So yeah, you can't help it these days. And the problem is there's, what's a conspiracy theory? What is that really? It's the idea that someone's lying to you. So anybody who says people who believe in conspiracy theories are crazy, that person's crazy because they believe nobody lies. I mean, I don't know. I mean, they're in repeat mode, right? They mimic only what they see. They didn't think that through. It just sounded good. Huh? So um, 
I don't have a problem with you saying, I distrust the regime. I distrust princes. I distrust the kings of men. I distrust pantheists and pagans and atheists. I don't have a problem with that. You should probably distrust Lutherans too, because there's a lot of people in my Christianity that have just been along for the ride and getting the benefits of things like youth events and good music out of the church for years. And that time, it just seems to be no longer there. We don't have the capacity to compete on those scales anymore. And so, well, so be it. But if you're going to believe then, again, that there's no liars out there, well, then you're just going to drift away. You're going to drift away. There's liars out there. So you see that the government probably is, they have a, they have a building called the Central Intelligence Agency. Can you go into it? Do you get to look at what, what they're talking about or listen to? So there, they are conspiring in some way in that building. And it's not a theory that it's happening. And I don't even care. We make movies about it, Men in Black, whatever. But don't tell me that people aren't hiding stuff and lying. What a nonsense idea, right? So I suppose as long as there aren't those drones flying around, yeah, right. So that's the question. So which conspiracy theory is real? And that's where it's super dangerous because what you're dealing with with, with internet conspiracy theory is information that is random, scattered, and from far away. And you, because you're a genius, because all brains do this, all human brains take information and make connections. So you will see this random scattered information from far away. You will take it, you will make connections, and then you will think that's the truth. The problem is you're only seeing like this much of everything. And there's so much more going on, you can't even tell. So if you really want to come up with a conspiracy theory that you can actually have some like, like faith in, you got to do it on the ground in your town by talking to people. Figure out what's going on there, and you might find some liars. You might. You might be able to make some good difference too. <laughs> you know? Uh, but but the internet hunting, you know, Q. Q. I, I still have never even looked into Q. Just through Dr. Kuntz's stuff. And I just feel bad for people who put hope in that. Um, and then I feel bad for that person, whoever's doing it. Uh, I really do. I feel like they must have a very <sighs> strange existence. Maybe not. Maybe it's right. Maybe they're all good and they're like, they're God's own servant. So I shouldn't judge too much, but I, it just seems, seems mistaken to me. So, um, she, uh, Janice goes on, uh, so I'm not planning on getting vaccinated. I have a garden, a pressure canner. So there's, there's a little bit about more like if I need food, right? So I definitely have not been alone in voicing my concerns about this and, um, I don't think it's unrealistic. I think people who live in cities are less likely to voice these concerns because it's just too big, a scary thing. But the fact is that our food system is pretty fragile. Uh, we saw with uh, our two-week, three-week shutdown here last March, um, meat went away, eggs went away. You know, certain things vanished pretty quick. Real staples, real foods, things that uh, we need to survive in my family. So um, that really got me thinking, okay, so if it's that easy to stop the whole thing, I mean, what's one good an, uh, Antifa and or uh, um, uh, I'm going to lose... <sighs> I can't get it. Hamas. There we go. Ha. I knew I'd get there. One good Antifa or say like Hamas bombing, uh, well-placed to take out infrastructure for a whole city in terms of food. Um, now, is it possible that other types of food can get you through a couple of weeks? Yeah. But if there were really an actual fight, then that wouldn't come back very fast. And so this is where, even if there were a small bit of fighting somewhere in the country that never went anywhere else, 
even if it was just in DC, you know, amongst themselves, it could conceivably have a food or some other kinds of uh, edible need to live crisis that takes place. And so to realize that, right, is not fear mongering. It's terrifying, honestly, but it's not fear mongering to realize the potential that things could get very bad in your world. You should have known that all along. They should have been telling you that rather than it can't fall. But, you know, I don't, I don't think it's like going to fall tomorrow either. But being able to think about where's my food going to come from? Um, I don't know. I could live on a garden, though. I don't know if I'd make it. I'm pretty sure I wouldn't because I, I, I know you need protein and fat. I know that if you want to live on the vegetables, you got to get your vitamins somewhere else uh, on, a, on a number of levels. So, but this is where also trying to go it alone isn't really going to make it and trying to turn into like immediate commune isn't going to make it. What you want to do is get to know those in your area who are in fact doing the work already. Do you got people who farm? Go find them. Yeah. Uh, find out how you can have an arrangement with them where you're already buying their food all the time. So before they go to market, because it's going to be better for you, it's going to be cheaper for you, and it's going to be better for them uh, in the long run. So, you know, do that kind of thing. Easy to do? No, very difficult. Very difficult. The kind of thing that maybe a team at church could do together, right, if they wanted to. Um, but again, uh, I don't know. Um, on the vaccine, uh, I'm not going to be vaccinated either. I have really rethought through vaccines all the way together. Uh, we will have to do this again when my kids start having kids, but at the moment, it's not one that we have to think about too much. But I know this. I know that the big picture is terrifying if you trail it to the top. And so measles vaccine is like this tree over here in this really big forest. And this really big forest has abortion written all over it. And the more that that's just obvious, the more I'm just like, they really have, I mean, they're throwing, they're throwing Israelites into the river. I mean, they really are. They really are. And, and uh, we got to see that. Uh, it doesn't mean you can't have your measles vaccine necessarily. I'm not going to tell you that. I think um, I think there's some room for Christian freedom as we struggle through these things. Uh, but I, I'm I'm not getting vaccinated either. <laughs> not a chance. Uh, not on this one for sure. Uh, it just seems uh, reckless is the word I would use. Reckless. So we got some super chats coming in here this morning. Let's see. Jedi and Anakin Anakin Chinchwalker said. <laughs> I'm too fast. Jedi Knight, Anakin Cringewalker just says, here's a super chat. Well, thank you for that, uh, Jedi Knight. I appreciate that. I see you wrote something down below, so maybe I can go grab that, but I feel like there was another super chat up here. There you go. Desert Rose says, uh, Pastor Fist, thank you. I hope you are staying warm. Yes, we are. I can see the snow outside, but we are definitely staying warm in my home. I do have to go out today, go make a visit, which I'm kind of looking forward to, um, although getting out of, in the snow... That's yeah, pretty pretty deep out there. Uh, Anakin Kritzwicker says this. No, um, oh I can't. That's in the middle of something, so I can't even begin. Uh, By the way, there it is. Did my super chat checks make it through oddly blank? If not, there. Now we're starting to make sense. Last time I was in Moscow, I accidentally entered the KGB building. <laughs> How many times do you get to tell that story? Man, but was I, I was not shot or arrested, just escorted out and told this building is not for you. That's nice. Uh, made me realize they had nothing left to hide. Russia wasn't a big player anymore. Oh, that's interesting too. Right. Yeah, right, right. Because otherwise they'd be like not trusting you and wondering what you're scouting and everything. Um, although, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe not. Um, the last time I was in Russia, I accidentally walked into a cage. You could write a book, man. That's just a book right there. Just let it fly, right? But you don't, you don't get let out. Instead, they take you in. Right. And then what? They give you superpowers or something like that. I don't know. I'll be right back. All right. We've got about 20 minutes here. If you can throw some questions in the sidebar now, I may be able to grab them. But I'm going to talk to you a little bit about Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 7 as a big picture. 
big picture. I guess I probably should just go ahead and read that to you first. So let's go ahead and do that. Let's see. If I go here, here, there we go. We're going to go. I said Ephesians 1, right? Pop, pop, pop. Do, 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 do. Go. Go, go, go. But I said too. Oh, goodness. Now we have problems. We'll get there. Bear with me. There it is. And here it is. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 says this. And you, he made alive. You who were dead in trespasses and sin, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desire of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace. You have been saved. Now, there's a lot more that, uh, you know, it goes on to say. In fact, verse uh, 8 and 9 are pretty important. Uh, but before we even get to 8 and 9, about how it's by grace you have been saved, not by works, lest anyone should boast, I think we maybe go too fast past this bit about the course of this world and the prince of the power of the air and the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. That seems important to me. Like, like that's a big deal, right? There is a prince of the power of the air. There is a ghost who is at work in all unbelievers. You don't have to be possessed by a demon to be driven by the devil. You just have to not be a Christian. And you can even be really nice about it as you do it. Like it has nothing to do with whether you're living a good life or not. It's about whether or not your mind is in God or whether you are trying to be God. So again, this prince of the power of the air, this is the devil. This is his age. And it's important for you to consider this the epoch of total darkness. The valley of the shadow of death. This is not your best life now. This is not a place you want to stay. You do not want to live here as long as you can. You want to run toward your tomb, recognizing that your tomb is in God's hands. You can't make it happen. You don't want to make it happen. But you also, you kind of want it to happen. You kind of want to go to the real game. This is the waiting room, right? This is the place where it's like, oops, ah, uh, learn, suffer, sacrifice, and in that way it is good for you to remain for others. And yet, and yet, it will be a great relief to the Christian when he gets to go to his rest. Because the body hurts, the mind hurts, the heart hurts, the world, the earth hurts because of the zeitgeist, that time ghost, that hidden spirit that is enervating. He's the energy within the sons of apatheo. Right? It says sons of disobedience. Yeah, it's fine. Apatheo. It comes into English as apathy. That's too weak. But it's like that, though. Apatheo. Unbelief. I don't care. The sons of not caring, this epoch of darkness, who then themselves are a seed of despair. And you are born of this. Your human nature is born of this, not by creation, but by fall, right? Inherited darkness. What you've inherited then is this, a violent instinct. A violent instinct. Nature's instinct across Nature, by the way, but then in its head, man, is violence. That's the instinct. Yeah. Um, and that is not as it was meant to be. That now is what the fall has become, that we are sons not of benefits, but of wrath. 
sons of wrath who will only be what we are and will only take our world where we will take it. Now this sets up what comes next. Not so you anymore. Such were some of you. Mm. But now you have been resurrected. Now you've been ascended. It even says raised up and sit together in the heavenly places with Christ. You've been resurrected. You have been ascended. Why does not feel like I've been ascended? That's right, it doesn't. But you now have the ability to know that no matter what else happens, you are. And the only thing in between you and you believing that is you not believing that. Because the word of God says it right there. Look at Ephesians 2. You have ascended and seated with Christ. But I'm still stuck here. Why? To trust him. (laughs) To trust him. The epoch of the tyranny of darkness is here so you would learn to trust not yourself and not the prince of the power of the air, but the Christ who is risen for your justification. I was looking at some other stuff here to see whether or not I want to share with you this morning. We got what, 15, still got 15 minutes here. Uh, that's probably not the direction I want to go. All of those right there. But I did see Joe Bassett dropped in. Oh, hold on. Let's do this back over here like that. Joe Bassett dropped in. He says, love your videos, Pastor Fisk. Keep up the great work. Well, I was trying to make it go a little further. <laughs> You're, thank you for the money uh, and thank you for the support and all of that. Here we go. Cafe Solo throws a question down at the bottom. He says this. Um, addendum to question above. I'll have to go look for that one. No, there it is. Is that Brian C? Is this the addendum? Uh, can someone repeat if there's a different Cafe Sola question for that needs to go with the addendum? I'll start with Brian C. Pastor Fisk, last week you said that the Father was past knowing. It's not quite how I would say it. But John 14 says, if you have known Jesus, you have known the Father. Can you please clarify? Yeah, that's exactly what I said last week. If you've known Jesus, you've known the Father. So the Father is past knowing outside of Jesus. That's what I said, right? Um, so uh, maybe this is uh, the addendum. Even Christians who know we are being lied to often keep falling for lies. Nope, that's that's got to be different. Where are you, Cafe? Where are you? Is it this one? Pagans are going to pagan. And politicians are going to politician. And false teachers are going to false teach. But could you address why people keep falling for the same lies over and over again? Because uh, fools are going to keep falling for lies. It's what the Bible says. Ah, it's, not, it's not the answer we like. We, we, we want no child left behind. Addendum says even Christians who know we're being lying to keep falling for the lies. Same answer. It's weird, isn't it? You would think we'd care just a little tiny bit more. We had a conversation at a uh, church meeting recently, and one of my members, who great person, was talking about uh, the posting of Proverbs uh, on uh, the Facebook pages. And uh, she's been going about this for a while now and, you know, it's getting likes and a couple shares and it's Facebook. I mean, I, I, I am done. I will never return. <laughs> uh, I don't think, uh, but I, I haven't deleted it yet, but I, I don't go there. Um, what was interesting was how she mentioned that some people don't like the Proverbs. So you have other Christians coming to our church's Facebook page. Like that doesn't just like go out there on its own, right? Like you got to pay for it to be out there on its own. It's you have to go to it. And they're finding proverbs and then not everyone's really liking it. And the comment that came out of my mouth at the meeting was like, "Isn't it funny how Christians don't really like the Bible that much?" It's kind of weird, isn't it? It's like they haven't read it. Well, what are you going to do about it? Huh? You're going to go read it? going to understand uh, what, your, uh, 
what you're at. American Dream says, I apologize to those offended by your other comment. Hey, I wasn't really angry. I was like, dude, you're missing the point. If that's actually what you say back to me, it means you are the problem. <laughs> like if I'm like, man and woman are different. You're like, misogyny. Cancel culture much? Yeah. So, so like maybe you didn't realize that as a joke, right? Well, then here's a nice bit of media ecology. Jokes and text in comment threads, never going to get to the guy talking. <laughs> There's too much flying through right here that I got to keep going to really see it as anything but what it says on the absolute surface. And so when you're going to say it's misogyny, and I got to bring it up because it's precisely that attack. That is precisely what we have believed. We have believed that what the Bible teaches is misogyny for like 40 or 50 years, subtly, just barely. We're ashamed of it. So what I'm doing is not being ashamed of it anymore. And it's going to get called misogyny eventually because that's all they can say it is, hatred of women even though it's very evident from the world out there that they hate both women and men because they're trying to make the women look like men and act like men. They're giving them drugs to be men and vice versa. Misogyny, you know? So so uh, thanks for the comment, uh, uh, America Dream, and I'm not worried about it if you're not. So uh, yay, yay, yay. Um, oh, how's some talk them into it to close out the show? That's not a bad idea. I need a moment to set that up. I will be right back. Alrighty then, here we go. I think we'll get right to it. Can you see that? That's what I don't know. Is, is it being cut off? No, it doesn't look like it. I think that's the text we looked at last week. So, yeah. So, we're going to continue on here. This is on page 39 of my most recent book, Talk Them Into It. This book is available for free in PDF and or Kindle format if you sign up for Mad Mondays. Mad Mondays is the newsletter you do want in your email inbox. I'm going through and I am unsubscribing from everything. I'm not kidding. I'm unsubscribing from everything. I've been avoiding email. I'm going to still avoid email, but when I go back, I only want to see what I want to see. I don't want to see stuff from anybody who isn't someone I really know or Mad Mondays. I want Mad Mondays because I know that there are going to be bits of information from out there that do matter. So what is going on with COVID overseas to help counter the narrative going on in my local state and jurisdiction? Uh, What is going on with what? Uh, With people who are claiming to find the historical Jesus. What's going on with Amazon delivering by drone? Anything and everything that we find that impacts your life, we try to put into Mad Mondays in snippets while also giving you hope, understanding, and trajectory. Righteousness and the ability to seize that righteousness as wisdom once a week, not too long, and uh, hopefully encouraging. It's the one time you're going to be glad to get an email these days. So, all right, you'll get also my book, Talk Them Into It, for free in Kindle when you sign up at redfisk.com, and I think it's slash newsletter. So, on page 39, good listening means good asking. The Christian knows we enter every conversation with an unbeliever at a disadvantage. He may lie, and we may not. This is really connected to what we were talking about, I think, just a few moments ago, uh, in that fools uh, don't believe lying is possible. So if you think as a Christian that you are at and you have an equal playing field with the world around you when it comes to conversation, you're wrong. You don't. You have a completely lopsided playing field in which you are on the bottom of a hill and your goal is really big for them to shoot past you. And they're at the top of the hill, and there is no goal. You can just get up there and lose, okay? That's the Christian's approach to a conversation based on logic, reason, emotion, and uh, any type of human realities. Now, the advantage you have is that you're not really in it for the human realities. You're in it to listen and then proclaim supernatural realities, which break through the darkness like a piercing ray of light, and have the tendency to create repentance and faith, although that can be resisted as well, right? So, but you got to know then, you can't trust the person you're talking to. 
Like you just can't. They're not even an honest skeptic of themselves. That's the most important thing to be. But they, they can't finally be, especially when it comes to Christianity itself. They have to have made up excuses. Because the fact is, a guy rose from the dead and is king of the universe, and they don't want to believe it, right? And it's so publicly evident. It's so readily available. And it makes so much sense that only fools would not believe it. You know, case in point, and a, but how do you prove it? You're just asserting you're right. So, how then to protect ourselves, I say, from duping, right? So, since everyone just gets to assert, how do you protect yourself from duping? Believe that they're liars is the starting point. As well as, how do we fulfill our duty to announce that the end of the ages has come upon us in meaningful, personal, one-to-one ways? Again, it's as simple as shutting up and taking one or two mental notes. The fact that you know, not only that they can lie, but that they're going to, because they lie to themselves all the time. And so they say things they listen to that they wouldn't listen to if someone else said to them, said it to them. So what you're going to do is you're going to wait until they do that like two or three times and say things that don't make sense, but which they're not listening to because they just become a sort of excuses for their own little religious insanity. Yeah? And so you're going to, you're going to shut up and you're going to take one or two mental notes. You're going to listen for when they don't make sense. People assume that silence in conversation means lack of influence. Uh, so, you know, you might think that by not talking, by not answering their question, by not telling them what they need to hear, that you're not really influencing them. But it's the other way around. Um, it is not the length of a speech that matters, only its impact. There are many values that learning to wield silence with patient and self-control produce. But the one pertinent here is it is an act of assertiveness. It is the key to a good offense. It is not first a tactical delaying, nor meant as a defensive maneuver. Listening carefully is the beginning of your all-out assault. So when you stop to listen, I'm, I'm not reading now, when you stop to listen, the point of all that, that text, right, is that you're going to stop and not talk and listen to this person because that's how you're going to go on offense. The more you listen to them carefully, the more they think you're listening to them, the better. Now, now tell me more. Mm, what's that mean? Ah. Uh, Every one of those, you're on all-out offense. You're assaulting them. Why? Because you're, you're, they're giving you the ammo. They're giving you the ammo. All right? So, continuing on. How? Listening is the aggressive reconnaissance necessary in order to clear the battlefield of the unseen tripwires and rigged explosives that always lay buried beneath the power of assumptions. Like the military crew who stealth out, who take and disarm the mine, the actively listening person is hunting for unvoiced assumptions especially those powerful spiritual ideologies of darkness, such as those which attack marriage or require abstinence from certain foods for spiritual reasons. Strange indeed for the evolutionists to believe. The goal is to listen for the unique or specialized words your pre-friend, your opponent, uses. Those words you wouldn't have used, right? So you're listening for when they say things you don't say. Zoom in on those foreign tongues, those, li- those words like a laser. What's that word? Why, they, why do they say epi- epistemology? Right? That's, that's a, that seems loaded. Yeah? Um, this is where you may begin to build your bridge over the river, river Babel. So by finding the words you don't know in the conversation, the places that seem to be gaps, they will have some of these gaps filled in. Right? And so they'll be able to say, you know, you say, what's well, epistemology? Well, it's this, it's this. So you just keep learning. You just keep listening. You just keep taking mental notes. But Wherever there's a hole, you, you always point out the hole. Well, tell me how you fill this hole. Because eventually what's going to happen is because they're liars, because all men are, they're going to get to a hole they can't fill and they're going to try to fill it with something that doesn't fill it. And you're going to say, ah, it doesn't work. And they're going to be like, you're right. And they'll trust you because you've listened to everything else up to that point. 
Right? You listen to everything else up to that point. That's how your listening is to go on offense. Let's give you one more chapter here. Anyway, page 41 says, take away the power of assumption by asking for clarification. Sort of what I just said. No matter how many foreign turn, tongue terms you hear your opponent share, zoom in on the most interesting one and ask for more information. Take the word, right? This is an assault. You're taking the word and declaring it the ground for mutual understanding to be built upon. They should enjoy this, right? We're going to agree on this word after you tell me what it means. How, um, hello, how are you? I am fine. Excellent. Pray tell what means fine, right? You, you got to tell me what that means. Otherwise, I don't know. The ultimate goal is to prevent imbalanced assumptions from running the conversation. Like, you are a Nazi. Uh, maybe I am. Uh, unfortunately, I wouldn't know. Can you please help me understand what a Nazi is, right? Yeah, you got you to tell me what it is, and then I'll tell you whether I am one, right? Oh, it's someone who hates Jews. I'm not one of those. <laughs> uh, in a court of law, you can always get yourself declared mad by answering everything with a question. Did you know that? It's a good one to keep in your back pocket. <laughs> uh, that doesn't mean they won't still eat you. Well, that's true, too. <laughs> uh, Socrates still had to drink the poison. Uh, the point is that our kingdom is founded on honest wording. And by our kingdom, I mean Christ's kingdom, right? Not the kingdoms of this age founded on lies, but Christ's kingdom is founded on honest wording. So we're not afraid of letting other people define terms, provided that they can define them honestly. Our Lord does not peddle in hidden meetings. So if they're talking honestly, eventually it will expose their lie, and then the truth will be able to be filled in or found. Thus, the dutiful Christian will adopt a personal posture of clear meaning to his words in all his engagements, and this will be made all the more possible the more he adopts the uh, the unbearable strategy of asking better, excuse me, unbeatable strategy, the unbeatable strategy of asking better and better questions. Now, that does not mean that there's never a time when you talk and uh, talk them into it. The title is talk them into it. You do want to get to a point where you talk, but before you're going to have the capital, the trust, the relationship, the fellowship with the person to earn the ability to change what they think, you're going to have to let them at least think they're changing what you think. You're going to have to let them teach you. And if they teach you what you already know, then it's not a problem. It's like, okay, well, I believe this word means this. Good, we're all on the same page. Let's keep going, right? You have no problem being the disciple and you have no problem being vigilant because you already know that if they're not a Christian or even if they are, there's a good chance that they don't know the Bible as well as they should and you have to ask questions anyway. This is what church is for in a lot of ways and why the, the pastor's there to speak, right? To speak so you can have the truth come up in you and you can know how to answer the, the right questions, right? You can know what your faith is. And it's not about, can you memorize this, that bullet point? How many gayness of whatever? And I, I, look, flame is cool. I haven't listened yet. I need to, but the, I, I love it, right? I love the genre. That's great, okay? But, but that's not what converts people to Lutheranism. <laughs> that's not what converts people to Christianity. The only thing that converts people to Lutheranism is the same thing that converts people to Christianity, which is Jesus. It's Jesus. Uh, and yes, the Gainus Myostaticum and its other genres, his other genres, do have to do with how we understand him. The two wills and everything, like I mentioned earlier. Java has popped up every week for three weeks. I thought they canceled Java. I got to get rid of it. Ah, Java. Java just ended that for y'all. You didn't see it. But Java, I saw it. And now I've lost what I was saying. Computers. The white noise. The Matrix. It was going to be good. It was edit. You guys, you even know what I was going to say. I bet you, you know, I bet you Brian knows what my... Matt Monday's at 11. He says, I bet you he knows what my conclusion was, and he could say it to you if you asked him. But it is 11 o'clock, and I do have some other work to do today, including trying to get out from the snow and or encouraging those who will help us get out since I have a bad back at the moment. It really makes it tough to shovel. <sighs> so I'm going to go deal with all that. But here, snow day, snow day, fear day. I want to talk about fear more too, right? Um, I think I said this. No, I didn't. Nope, nope. I said it on a different show maybe. Somebody said this to me recently, and I think it's, it's pretty key. 
Right now, everybody's anxiety is up pretty high. And the more you can just remember that, your anxiety is high, their anxiety is high, and then maybe take a breath, (laughs) the more you can help just pull that level down a touch. Especially if you can remember that the reason for most of our anxiety is a fear of death right now that everyone else has and they're running around like chicken little screaming. And if we're picking up on that anxiety, it's in large part because we just haven't been disciplined to realize we're not like them. No. Uh, and uh, that it's not that we want them to stay like they are. I don't hear that. But um, we do not want to be like they are. We have escaped from that. We've been bought back from that. And so as I wrestle with my own anxiety levels and I'm trying to just kind of, you know, just kind of just bring it down to us here. Let's see if I can breathe a little bit, especially as a leader, right? You, you can't panic as a leader. It's not good. Uh, and, and right now everyone's panicking. So all the more for you to go back to those places that tell you there is no, there is no reason to panic. Places like what? <laughs> Psalm 124. Uh, if Jesus Christ had not been on our side, let Israel now say. If Jesus Christ had not been on our side when men rose up against us, they would have swallowed us alive. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ who has snapped the cord. We've escaped. Yeah? So, uh, it's no fear. I don't think you're going to live a life without fear. I think you're going to live a life in which you realize that the fear of men is a pittance beside the fear of God and that the fear of God is real. <laughs> uh, but it's also invigorating, especially when you know your God is Jesus Christ who then bled for you and has no intention of leaving you uh, rotting in the muck with those who have no hope. So that would make it time to lift up your head and all the more as you see the day approaching. If you don't support me on Patreon yet, would you please five bucks a month or more helps make all this go. And I'm still praying for that day when I actually have enough to start a real business with the thing long way from that. But nonetheless, right now it does let me continue to live, be, act, study, and bring you all this good stuff. Brief history of power with Dr. Adam Koontz as well. I didn't talk about that yet today, but you can find the podcast on iTunes. You can also on that podcast hear all my sermons, hear this show in audio format. Mad Christian Discord, you can talk with myself, Pastor Koontz, a bunch of other good people, and try to support ourselves in this dystopic, crazy age. Uh, But whatever you do, wherever you are, I certainly hope, I certainly hope, that you're going to hear the voice of a shepherd locally who is reflecting the king, who is the good shepherd of Israel where you are for the people who gather there. And you know that because he opens the Bible and he doesn't tell you some other thing or why it's not what it says. He tells you this is what it says. And this is why Jesus is risen. And this is how you are then paid for. And this is what it means to be immortal now. And it's going to get even better in a little bit. He won't be long now. So lift up your head all the more as you see the day approaching. Because I'm going to come back again. (laughs) So uh, we're still still dealing with the misogyny. And and, uh, America Dream, you brought up another comment here. And I got to say, you're really missing the whole point. I said women can't lead men in song like men. And you think they can. That means you don't believe men are men, right? Like a woman can't be a man. And a man can't be a woman. And and to say that I'm like over the deep end for saying that is, is demonstrates the point. So, hey, you have a great weekend, but uh, women can't be men. Rock on.
Was that worth a dollar? Click the Patreon link in the show notes to sign up. Pretty please? <laughs>